let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit us at biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to our previous episodes and various Bible study resources. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into our study. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that we have the privilege to study your word, that we have access to the scriptures. We thank you that we have an opportunity to share using technology. We pray that you'll be with the technology, that it will work well, that those who hear will be blessed, and that we will be blessed in participating as well. In Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen. Okay. Today's study is entitled, Examples of Childlike Faith. I have multiple passages, but I think I'm going to use one as the key one. 2 Kings 5.13, which says, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Okay. King James Version, that's what we do here. And the reason I'm targeting examples of childlike faith is because it's a hard concept for us to grasp a lot of times. I say that because it comes up in question a lot. How does one have a childlike faith? What does that look like? What does that mean? I mean, we can use examples of children, how they trust their parents, It gets harder year by year to use those examples because there's so many dysfunctional homes, dysfunctional situations. We see children um, not necessarily being respectful to parents. We see parents being abusive to children. We just don't see enough of the scenarios that make it easy for people to understand, especially if people have had bad experiences with their own parents or in their own parenting. So we're going to use, we're going to look at scenarios where people exhibited faith in the scripture who had no business exhibiting any faith because they didn't allegedly have the background that was necessary. And since faith is is something that is based more on the future than the past, I think this is going to be appropriate. So we're going to look at two scenarios, and I'm going to start with the more popular scenario first. In Matthew 8, verses 8 through 10, we have the bulk of the story of the centurion who seeks a miracle from Jesus for his servant that is sick. And he, this story is in both Matthew and Luke. In the Matthew 1, 
the centurion seems to ask more directly. In the Luke one, he asks through a proxy. Jesus agrees that he's going to go over there. On the way, the centurion intercepts him because he doesn't want him to come to his house because he feels that he's not worthy of Jesus coming to his house. But here's the bulk of the of the story in Matthew 8, 8 through 10. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come unto my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Okay, very powerful piece here. So the centurion is saying, Lord, you are way too important, way too majestic to come in my house. I'm a sinful person. My house is not worthy of your presence, but I do desire your help. You just have to speak. I know that if you speak, the problem will be solved. And he says that with no basis that we're aware of, because up to this point, we don't know that Jesus has done any miracles. It's not recorded anywhere that Jesus has done any miracles where he just said something and stuff happened somewhere else. So this centurion is basing his belief that Jesus can do this because he senses the authority that Jesus has. And he says, hey, I'm a man who has authority. I'm under authority. I'm in a hierarchy where people are above me, but I have authority of people below me. And my authority is such that I can command people to do things and expect that those things will get done. I don't have to think about whether or not they'll get done. I don't have to worry about whether or not they'll get done. I say stuff, stuff gets done. And I see in you way greater authority than I have. So I know if I can command people to go and they go, or to come and they come, or to do something and they do that thing. I know that the power and authority you have totally outshadows mine. So if you say to that sickness or illness, go, I know it's gone. I know it'll work. And it's a very logical position to take, but it's based on a lot of things that people would consider speculative. And he believes in the power of Christ so much that knowing what he knows about Christ, knowing that Christ has healed people, because the rumors of that went far and wide, Christ is forever healing people. So knowing that Christ heals people and knowing that Christ has authority, in his mind, you combine those two and Christ can heal people at a distance using authority. And he just accepted that as fact. I mean, he came and articulated how it should work and he had not yet seen it. There's no indication to us from the word of God that he had yet seen such a thing. Okay. And Jesus response is, I have not seen that level of faith, not in Israel. And then Jesus does what he asked and healed that man's servant at a distance and just told him, okay, your servant's healed. And the guy's like, da, 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 and left content to have his servant be healed like that. Okay? That story is well is more well known. It's it's a fairly well known story. Um we don't always think of the implications of the faith even though Jesus comes out and says it point blank, we don't think of the elements of faith that this man manifested to make this statement of belief 
when he didn't have any evidence for it yet. In fact, I'm going to do something because Jesus does heal someone else like that. And in Matthew 15, Jesus deals with the the Syrophoenician woman who comes requesting that her daughter be healed. And Jesus heals the daughter at a distance because he's dealing with the mother, right? Present and the daughter is not present. And then in Matthew 17, Jesus rebukes a devil. Now, that's not the one I wanted. In Matthew 17, there's no evidence of that kind of miracle being done before the centurion asks for it. We know that Jesus did heal somebody along the way. Prior to that, we know that when Jairus came and was destroyed, Jesus went with him to the house. So we know these other things happened, but but the centurion is listed first, the Syrophoenician woman is listed afterwards, and it's very interesting that it's both Gentiles that requested of God miracles that they didn't need God to be present for, or, or they didn't need the sick person to be in the presence of those people in order to do it. Okay. The second story that I'm going to deal with, second example that I'm going to use, comes to us from, you know, our verse that we read, 2 Kings 5.13. This verse is right after Naaman, captain of the hosts of Syria, has found out that Elisha, through a messenger, has sent him information about how he's going to get cleansed. And Elisha tells him, go into Jordan, wash seven times, dip in the water seven times, essentially baptism, right? Full immersion, seven times. And when you come out, you'll be cleaned. And Naaman's not having it. He is not happy about this because he expected something more dramatic, more direct, more in person, right? And so he storms off in a rage. And verse 13 of 2 Kings 5 is so crucial because it says so much in that verse that we skip. And his servants came near and spake unto him, right? So remember, he's gone off in a huff. The servants go to him. They go to an angry boss and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. Now, this passage is awesome, awesome, awesome for reasons that we usually just gloss over. They refer to a man that they have not yet met as the prophet. Remember, let's pay attention here. While they were in Syria... Someone, maybe even one of them, overheard the little maid, captive of Israel, speaking to Naaman's wife, the little maid's mistress, and saying, oh, too bad he's not in Samaria because the prophet would take care of him. They hear about that. Next thing you know, Naaman is before the king. The king is like, okay, let's get some gifts and some stuff, sends him to the king of Israel based on protocol, among other things. King of Israel is losing his mind because he thinks that this is just a provocation for conflict. Elisha hears of it and says, "Ah, he's send him to me. Stop worrying about it. Send him to me. So now Naaman and all his little entourage is sent over to the prophet. 
But the prophet doesn't come out to meet him. The prophet sends a messenger who gives an instruction. So up to this point, all that anyone knows is that a, a young girl who was captive of the children of Israel believes that there's a prophet who can cure leprosy when, by the way, no leprosy has been cured yet of anyone up to this point. Okay. So on the word, possibly secondhand word, of a young girl, Naaman and his whole entourage are here. And Naaman has gotten instructions, not from the prophet directly, because he hasn't seen him yet, but from a messenger of the prophet. And he is irate about this message. And his, his servants come near to him and they say, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, they have accepted that the prophet exists and that the message, that the message coming through the messenger is that of the prophet. They have accepted by faith because they haven't seen it. They haven't seen him. They haven't seen him do anything. It's not like they saw him do some miracles first and then they believe this. Everything that they know is second or third hand. And they have accepted that the man who's responsible for the message that their master just received is in fact the prophet. And they have decided that the message that they received is so simple and straightforward that he really ought to do it because if it was a great thing, he would have attempted to do it, but it's a relatively little thing. He should just do it by faith. And it is in large measure their faith that causes Naaman to act as he does. Their faith, their fidelity to their master, their love for their master. Look at the endearing way in which they speak to him. My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, wash and be clean? The logic of the situation, the appeal to his nobility, the desire to see him healed, their tact and discretion in how they approached him, and their unwavering belief in somebody they had not yet seen. We need to have faith like that. And it should be easier for us because we know God, because we've seen things from God, because we've experienced things from God. It should be more straightforward for us. We should not be so doubtful when we seek something of God. Yeah, we don't want to be presumptuous. I understand that. That's a concern I also have. But presumption is not simply being bold about the request. Presumption is being bold when you're in the wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't ask for things that you know you ought not to ask for. Lord, help me with this bank robbery. And yeah, I'm picking up the most ridiculous scenario to make the point. But the point is, don't ask things in wrongness. And don't ask when you know that in your life, there's a specific area that the Lord has been trying to get you to do things in, and you're deliberately not listening. You're you're avoiding it for whatever reason. And then things get awkward, and now you want help, and you're just going to pretend that this area of contention doesn't exist. 
right? Those are, that's where you wanting to be, to, to exhibit faith while ignoring conditions of grace is a problem. But generally speaking, even when you've made a mistake, even when you're in the wrong, it's not simply being in the wrong. It's being in a persistent state of wrong. And what's the difference? Let me give you an example. Peter asked to come out on the water when Christ is walking on the water to them. And Jesus says, sure. And Peter walks on the water by faith. But in the midst of that, he gets distracted. Gets distracted, thinking about himself, thinking about the stuff around him. A whole bunch of distraction. And now he starts to sink. Okay? It's his fault that he's sinking because God gave him the power by faith to move forward. It's his fault that he's sinking. He cries out for help. His prayer doesn't have a visible Lord forgive me portion. The immediacy of his problem, he cries out for immediate help. And Christ helps him. So it's not like God won't help us at all under any circumstance when we're in an issue. But it's when we ask for things, knowing that there's a reason for the separation, that our situation looks more like King Saul than it does like Peter underwater. That's what we have to understand. These two are examples of childlike faith. There are many examples in scripture, but I hope that as we look at these two in particular, and we see the elements of how people believed when they didn't have any reason to believe, but they trusted God and looked at the promise of the outcome that was given to them and accepted it by faith, even without what would you know, fall into the category of human evidence. And, and they received a great reward for that faith. 2 Kings 5, 13 says, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and goodness to us. We want to thank you, Lord, for providing us with these examples in your word. We're grateful for these experiences that have been recorded for our benefit. And we ask you to help us that we will exhibit that faith and that we will grow in our faith and, and be able to leverage it, not just to get stuff, that's not the, the point, but our relationship with you will grow stronger and our ability to help others to understand will go stronger when our own life experience has so much richness to it. Please bless us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom Podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.